There's a familiar story that falls on our ears in the scripture. We find it in several different locations in the gospel. Where the Lord takes a seemingly impossible situation and only through his supernatural power does he transform this miracle and make it happen because there are some things that only he can do. Today we will draw from the perspective of Mark as he tells the story of the Lord taking the lunch of a lad, blessing it, breaking it, distributing it, and feeding 5,000 plus with five loaves, two fish. Seems impossible. But there is a principle in this story, in this narrative that we cannot overlook. And it is very simply this, that when you have five loaves, two fish, one basket, 5,000 plus people, you're on the wrong end of the deal. But it's amazing that God can take five loaves, two fish, one basket, transform it into 12 baskets fulls of fragments. Because this is what you need to know. God will never leave you owing you something. Are you hearing what I'm telling you today? God will never leave you owing you something. When you're willing to give your life to him, you're never coming up short again. He will never owe you anything. Because he's that good. And so there are several things in this, this chapter today that I want to talk to you about. You're going to get nervous when I give you my title because I usually try to keep my sermons on Sunday to three short, short. They don't always end up short, but I try to keep them around three points. Today, I have six, so you're welcome. But they won't be long. I want to talk to you today about six elements of the miracle, six elements of the miracle so in this chapter, we understand that John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, the forerunner of Messiah, has been killed. Herod has killed him, and the disciples found out about this, take his corpse, his body, and put him in the ground. And Jesus is very distraught. He's, he's very broken. He weeps. The scripture said that he is very, very broken. He is grieving. And so he goes away by himself into the wilderness to try to find some rest. You know, respite is a good thing. It's a good thing. To rest your mind and your body. And as he heads out in the wilderness in Mark the 6th chapter. The scripture says to us that as he got out into the wilderness. That there was a gathering of people that had followed him. You'll find this beginning in the 30th verse. It goes all the way through the 44th verse. This story is so powerful that Jesus gets in the wilderness. And the scripture tells us that now... There is a group of people that have followed him. And in the 34th verse it said that he saw much people. And he was moved with compassion toward them. Because they were as a sheep without a shepherd. He began to teach them many things. Verse 35 said, and now the day was far spent. Somebody say it's late. The hour is late. They've got nowhere else to go. His disciples came to him and said, Lord, the odds are against us. This is a desert place and the time is far spent. The first element of the miracle is there is a legitimate need. 
The Lord opens his eyes and he sees a group of people that have followed him so far beyond their comfort zone that he's the only option they have left. It's too late in the day for them to turn around and go back to a comfort zone. Now they have trusted him to the best of their ability and they're stuck. There will come a day in your life. It is a great day of revelation when you truly find out that not only is he all you have, but he is always more than enough. I want to tell you today, when you find out that he's all you have, you're also going to find out that he's all you need. I know there's a lot of people looking for a lot of answers in a lot of places, but I'm glad to tell you that your search can end today. If you're looking for the answer, I know the answer. He is the Prince of Peace. They followed him into the wilderness. The need was there. It was not a group of people, and this is vitally important for you to understand. It was not a group of people who were looking for an abundant life. It was not a group of people who were looking forward to abundance and prosperity. It was a group of people who were desperate. They weren't asking God for a new Mercedes-Benz chariot. They were asking for the Messiah to provide for them and supply their needs. I often look at people's lives and realize that their revelation of who God is, is based on the disappointment of what he did not do for them. We live in an age that tells you if you'll seek after God, he'll fill up your bank account. That if you'll seek after God, he'll give you a bigger house. If you'll sow a seed into the ministry, then God will give you the car of your dreams. But that's not really what true worship is all about. I don't seek him today so I can have a bigger house. I don't seek him today so I can have a better car. As a matter of fact, I'm glad to be from a group of people that realize and understand if I don't even have a car, he's still worthy if I don't have a house I worship him today not because of what he's done for me but for the understanding that without him I would have nothing anyway I bless him today for who he is your motive matters your motive matters and the Lord sees right through motive the Lord sees right through shallow Worship the Lord sees right through people who are worshiping him to manipulate his hand. And I'm telling you today, you cannot manipulate the hand of God. There's no way that you can manipulate the hand of God and really function and move in the supernatural and the miraculous. We are nothing but manipulators when we start telling God what we think we need. And that if he doesn't meet us at that need that we've told him, then we're not going to serve him. That's not truly serving him today. God is looking for somebody that's willing to seek him and to love him and to live for him and we're not after it for what's in it for me it's funny we see it through the eyes of our children our grandchildren we see it through the eyes of nieces and nephews the motive of children seeking the hand of someone in their life It's amazing how much children love you when you have donuts. After chapel on Friday, uh, my parents and I went to lunch with my cousins. And um, 
We were sitting at lunch, and uh, Landon and Megan and Emery came. And uh, I'm telling on myself now because I don't know if my wife knows I went there. <laughs> but I, I went to Frisch's. And after I'd had a big boy, I had to have a hot fudge cake. And so I ate my sandwich and my chili, and they brought a hot fudge cake to the table. And I bet Emery hadn't said three words to me at lunch. But when they brought that cake and set it out, she looked across with the cutest little smile on her face, and she said, What's that, Uncle Luke? <laughs> and all of a sudden, I realized there was a relocation taking place. She moved from the other end of the table, came down to sit between me and her dad and started digging in. She said, I just want the chocolate. It was beautiful. And I saw a picture of myself with God. It's amazing when he pulls that hot fudge cake of blessing out. How quick I am to relocate myself. But I wonder today how many would be willing to get down at his feet and say, I love you and I thank you for the blessings that are in my life. But if you never bless me again, I wish somebody would realize today, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. The first element of the miraculous is the need. There was emptiness. There were hungry people. And he cannot deny hungry people. He cannot deny people that are thirsty for him. In the wilderness, Moses smites the rock when he should have spoke to the rock and water poured out. It did not pour out of the rock because Moses was obedient. The water came out of the rock because the people were thirsty. And we often look at ministries and we look at how, uh, how effective they are because the miracles are still happening. I find it hard to believe sometimes that Moses got the very same uh, product out of disobedience. He got the same result out of disobedience that he would have got out of obedience. The Lord told him, speak to the rock and the water would pour out. And when he smites it, the water comes out. But you got to understand, it wasn't the goodness of Moses that was on trial. It was the goodness of God because the goodness of God says, if you're going to follow after that cloud in the wilderness, you'll never be thirsty. There's something about following him so far for so long that you have no other option. You cannot turn around. You're now in a wilderness that you don't control. You're now in a wilderness that you have no say-so of where you're going. You're trusting him, and your motive is very, uh, very simple and very plain. If God don't do it, it can't be done. If God doesn't do it, it's not going to happen. I'm telling you today that God still specializes in the impossible. The second element of the miracle is one that we don't really like very well. But verse 38 leads us to understand that they finally discovered what they actually had. They had five loaves, two fish. Now John, the sixth chapter and the ninth verse tells us where they discovered that. They found it that a lad had the five loaves and the two fish. It was a young man that had it. But this is hard preaching. This is difficult preaching. Because the boy had all rights to that lunch himself. 
Five loaves, two fish, it all belonged to him. And honestly, he had need of it. His mother packed that lunch for him to have it, and it rightfully belonged to him. But when he understood the power of self-denial, the second element of the miraculous is self-denial. It might be the second element of the miraculous, but it's the first prerequisite to following Jesus. Because Jesus said, if any man come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow after me. I know today that the message being promoted in this hour is that God wants you to be happy and God wants you to do whatever makes you happy. But I'm telling you right now, there have been seasons in my life that being in the will of God, I didn't feel happy at the moment and I had to redefine what happiness really was. I had to think myself happy and make myself happy because I was in the will of God. I don't really want to turn loose my five loaves and I don't really want to turn loose my two fish but if the master has need of that I will deny myself and give it to it it's tough it's tough when you actually open the Bible for yourself and realize now this is crazy I know this sounds far out this is tough preaching it's crazy when you open up your Bible and read this now, now don't don't get up and walk out on me it's gonna cost you something to live for God Somebody say amen or oh me. Just, just, just come like you are and let just, just, you know, just, just come on, stay happy. Do it, do whatever you want to do. When you get tired of that, just be happy. Do just. God wants you to be happy. I'm gonna tell you something today. It's a revelation for me. When I came to the understanding that Calvary was not for my happiness, it was for my salvation. Come on now. When you find joy in the Holy Ghost, you just think you knew what happiness was. Until you get happy in God. I've had drug addicts and alcoholics and people come to me before and say, Pastor, I've been high a lot of times in my life, but I never felt something like I felt when Jesus got a hold of me. I've had them tell me, Pastor, I've been high before, but I never felt a high like I got when Jesus filled me with the Holy Ghost. Let him redefine your happy. Self-denial is brutal because it means sometimes you have to give up what you really wanted for you and let him have it with the risk. Now, here it comes with the risk. That if he doesn't come through, I'm going to starve with the rest of these fools. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It takes a lot if your trust is based on the evidence that surrounds you. I mean, what would God do with what I have when there's this much? And what I have to offer is so insignificant. Do you understand what Jesus did? He took what looked insignificant. As a matter of fact, one of his disciples looked at him and said, What are they among so many? And he took that small investment of self-denial and said, You watch what I can do with somebody who's willing to lay it all down. Listen, for some people it looked like insignificance. I'm going to help somebody right here. 
To the disciples, it looked like insignificance, but to the boy, it looked like everything. God is bringing us to a place to understand, and I hope this doesn't wreck your theology, but God doesn't want just a part of you. God wants all of you. God doesn't just want the parts that you want to give him. As a matter of fact, let me help you with this. He wants the part of you that's failed. He wants the part of you that's messed up. He wants the part of you that's broken. He doesn't want you withholding your worst from him and trying to give him your best. He wants all of you. Turn to your neighbor this morning and tell him, you can't lie to God. What a trade. I took all my confusion, my pain, my suffering, my grief, my sorrow. And I said, well, I'll hold on to this and just give him my praise. So I don't think you understand. When that woman dumped that alabaster box out at my feet. History records that women kept those boxes in their homes. It's very interesting. I've preached this in the years past. But that those women would hold those boxes in their homes. And whenever they would go through dark times of trial and grief would hit them. That they would literally open up the box and they would weep tears into that oil of alabaster. That alabaster box full of oil. They would weep their tears into that so that they could sweeten the bitter things in their life. They would invest their grief into the sweetness of the perfume in hopes that someday their grief would be turned around. Let me tell you, I know a man that will turn your mourning into dancing. And he'll turn your sorrow into joy. When that woman dumped out that sweet-smelling perfume at his feet, she wasn't just dumping out the perfume. She said, everything that I've been through and everything that I was, I'm dumping it at your feet, Lord. I know you love me regardless of where I've been. You can take your tears and dump them at his feet. Because weeping endures for the night. Come on, somebody preach at me right now. I said weeping may endure for the night. But joy is coming in the morning. I don't know who I'm preaching to right now. But I feel a miracle on the horizon in this house today. I believe somebody is looking at a sunrise today. And joy is on the way. Let me hurry. We've got need and emptiness. There was a need, legitimate need. And a boy who was willing to deny himself for the miracle to transpire. But verse 40 declares to us that they sat down in ranks by hundreds and fifties. Somebody shout order. We don't like this kind of preaching. But God is a God of order. And miracles don't just happen in your life without order. Why didn't he serve them food in chaos? Because nobody could have seen the miracle performed as powerful as it was. If people were thronging saying, I want to get my part. I want to get my part. I want to get my part. The Lord said, let me bring order into this thing. And you let us feed you. And you let us take care of you. Let there be order in your life. I'm not going to do this miracle in the midst of chaos. God have mercy. 
that may be some of the best preaching I'll do all day. He's not going to work in the middle of chaos when we can control the chaos. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? Sometimes chaos ensues and we had nothing to do with it. But the Lord said, where I can bring order, I'm going to bring it. And it's going to be done decently and in order. So I want you to tell all of them, if they'll get some things in order right here, I'll work. And they sat down in ranks of hundreds and fifties. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying some of us have been waiting on the Holy Ghost to do for us what we can do for us. Jesus didn't walk them to a place and say, now you sit here and you sit here and you sit here. He sent his disciples and said, just tell them to sit down in ranks of hundreds and fifties. And they sat down and order began to come. Just like it was with Ezekiel in the valley of dry bones. He said, I am not going to blow wind on these bones until they come together. God is a God of order. One of my favorite lessons to teach in Bible study is the creation account. I love to teach creation because God is such a God of order. He created in six days and on the seventh day he rested. It's so powerful. I love the creation account. People have tried to mess it up, mess with it. Oh, well, a day is a thousand years, so he really created in 6,000 years. If you believe that, then you believe that trees and plants and animals live for, a thousand, for 500 years of darkness and then 500 years of light, and he established cycles. I'm going to tell you what I believe. I believe he created one day at a time. In a 24-hour period, there was a sunrise and there was a sunset, and God created. That's what I believe. But he always created. Now, I'm, this is going to help somebody right here that's been trying to figure out your faith, okay? So I'm, I'm going to say this very slowly, and, and, and I want to be sure this gets in your spirit. God always created today what tomorrow was going to need. <laughs> Brother Snow, he established this in creation. He said, if you'll seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added unto you. What was he talking about? What you would eat, what you would wear, where you would live, how all that's going to happen. He said, seek me first. That's New Testament. But he did not establish it in the New Testament. He established it in creation. And every single day for six days that he created, he did not create fish until the water was created. He did not create birds until firmaments were separated. And he did not create man until all the kingdoms of the earth were built. Why? Because he always creates today what tomorrow needs. What's that have to do with me, Pastor? I'll tell you what it has to do with you. I don't worry about tomorrow when I know who's holding tomorrow. We live in a world right now where everybody's looking for the Antichrist. What are we going to do? What if the Antichrist comes? I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I'm looking for the Christ. Oh, my God, what are we going to do? Oh, Pastor, oh, oh, what are we going to do? What if we got to live through some hard times? Oh, Pastor, what are we going to do? Oh, my God, they're mandating shots. What are they going to do when they mandate the mark of the beast? Well, I'll tell you what some going to do. They're going to take it. Some of them going to take the mark. How do you know? Because the Bible said they were, not because I'm a prophet. And some folk won't live for him while they can. They're sure not going to live for him when they can't. Yeah. 
What are we going to do, Pastor, if we can't buy or sell? I mean, dear God, what are we going to do if we can't get hungry and walk in there in the middle of the night and get some chocolate chip cookies? And... I was in the Psalms this week. Oh, I was in the Psalms this week, and I had to stop. I went back over and over. I have been young. Now I'm old. Yet never have I seen Never have I seen the righteous forsaken or a seed begging bread. What are we going to do if the Antichrist comes? I'm going to trust the same God tomorrow that I trust today. Because today he'll provide for tomorrow. Let me make something abundantly clear in this house today, okay? I want to make something abundantly clear. And don't you ever forget this. I'm going to preach this till I die or till Jesus comes. The Antichrist does not set the end time agenda. If the Antichrist could take out the church, the spirit of Antichrist would have took out the church. But Jesus said that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. You're part of a glorious church. You're part of a victorious church. Let me just preach it to you like this. I'm really not worried about the Antichrist because I'm in the church. But if I wasn't in the church, I'd be afraid. There's never been a better time to get on the boat than right now. There's never been a better time to get in the church than right now. Somebody shout order. order. Got to have order. Are y'all feeling optimistic? I'm halfway there. I know some of you have been doing math in your head right now. You're like, well, he did three. <laughs> so at this rate, he'll preach 74 and a half minutes. <laughs> He's attracted to need and emptiness. He loves self-denial because it gives him something he can use. Even if others say it's not much, little is much. When God is in it. What is that? Lord, how? 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 Just give it to him. Watch. Just give it to him. Because the next thing that's going to happen is he's going to bring some things in order. And he's going to start to move. But the fourth element of the miracle is one that I think we struggle with so much. And that is after he commanded them to set down in order. In verse 41, he had taken the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up into heaven and he blessed. Stop right there. He blessed. We live in a society that loves to be blessed. People are so funny when they talk about being blessed it's crazy it's become mottos and I'm not against it I've done it I've said it but being blessed has become the motto of life you know 
How you doing, brother? Oh, I'm too blessed to be stressed. Woo! Okay, I'll remember that when you come to my office. What am I going to do, Pastor? Oh, my God. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Well, you're too blessed, remember? How you doing, my sister? Whoa, I'm blessed and highly favored. Yeah. Let me talk to you about blessing. This is jacked up. Let me talk to you about blessing. I, I, I hope you all are ready for this. I'm, I want to talk to you about blessing. Brother Stephen, if, if, if at some point I get off on this right here, I just want you to tell me later, Pastor, I'm giving you permission to say, Pastor, I think you were off. But I'm going to walk in the word right here. Abraham wrestling at Jabbok. Laura said, turn me loose. He said, no. I'm not going to turn you loose till you bless me. Y'all read the same Bible I have? I'm not going to turn you loose until you bless me. And when he walks out blessed... What's wrong with you? I'm too blessed to be stressed. Why are you limping? Because I'm blessed and highly favored. This angel shows up with a message. Now, this angel's quite a talker. He's talked to several. He's talked to Daniel. And then he shows up and he starts talking to Mary. And he says, you're blessed and you're highly favored. Oh, goody, goody, goody. Maybe I'll get to go on TBN and share my testimony. I'm blessed and highly favored. Tell me how I'm blessed. You're pregnant and you've never known a man. That which is conceived in you is of the Holy Ghost. Oh, wait. That's blessed? I'm going to be talked about, persecuted, slammed, discussed around dinner tables. What's wrong with you? I'm blessed. No, you're not. You're pregnant. And you're a disgrace because you've never known a man. And the Lord says sometimes blessing doesn't feel like blessing. Because sometimes you got to carry things around that others may feel like are shameful. But with every step you take, you can say, Lord, what you're doing to me right now is because I'm blessed. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying let them talk. Let them say whatever they want to say. Let them talk behind your back. But you are blessed and you are favored of God. Can I, can I just be me? Can I break this down right here? Can I just get this to you? I, I'm, I'm going to do this for you, Brother Michael. I'm, we're going Gerber style right here. Haters are going to hate. Oh, I know you wanted that to go away. Haters are going to hate. 
and people are going to be hateful. Anybody else here glad for what Isaiah saw in the scripture? We aren't the first to be despised and rejected. He was wounded for my transgression. And he was bruised for my iniquity. Who do you think you are walking around healing people? You don't understand how blessed I am. Because every wound that I carry tells a story that he brought me through. Every wound that I bear, every mark in my body, that's what Paul said. I bear these marks in my body. For what? So that he can be glorified. What's wrong with you people? Why do you keep living like that? Because I'm blessed. Listen, I'm going to bring this into context. The boy felt like he had lost something. But until he lost it, Jesus couldn't bless it. What are you going to do when you finally come to the realization, I ain't got nothing to lose? Look at your neighbor and tell him this morning, you ain't got nothing to lose. What, 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 do you, what, what, what do you mean? What, I don't understand. What do you mean? She had been to every doctor she could find. The Bible said she had spent everything that she had. The good thing about spending everything, she had nothing to lose. And Jesus, man, I feel the Holy Ghost right there. Somebody's been counting the cost trying to figure out how much it's going to cost you. You ain't got nothing to lose. And she got down on her hands and her knees and she started crawling through the crowd and somebody walked by this isn't recorded so just give me a little hermeneutical privilege here somebody walked by and said what in the world is she doing she said I'm blessed I'm down here because I'm blessed what do you mean you're blessed I mean I'm closer to the hem of his garment than I was three minutes ago I'm closer to my break oh God I feel the Holy Ghost What's wrong with you, girl? Why are you down? Because I'm blessed. I'm on my way to my miracle right now. But I had to abase myself. I had to humble myself. And I had to realize I got nothing to lose. That's why they used to call us holy rollers. But now we got too much to lose. Because our suits are too nice and our ties are too nice. And what if the hairspray comes out of my hair? What would we do if you wrinkled up your britches? Come on. Well, I guess we're going to find out if breakthrough or britches mean more. You know why I don't mind running in my dress shoes? You know why I don't mind running around this sanctuary when the Holy Ghost gets moving? I don't mind dancing. I don't mind sweating up here today. You ought, I ought to take this jacket off right now and let you see. You know why I don't mind sweating in my clothes? Because I wouldn't have them if it wasn't for him. Why do y'all put so many miles on your car driving, man? Why do y'all do that? Why, why in the world do you guys do it? Because I wouldn't have a car. I mean, Bishop, my God. You get a car and put 140,000 miles on it. Five years? What? Yeah. Why'd you do that? Because I'm blessed. Blessings are weird. 
Blessings don't mean trouble goes away. Blessing means when you start up the mountain with your boy, you look back at your servants and say, we'll be back. Because I'm going up here to make a sacrifice, but God is faithful. And if he's got to resurrect this boy, he'll resurrect him. But I'm coming back with my boy. I'm blessed. I'm not worried about what it's going to cost me. I'm worried about worshiping when it's over. Blessed. Somebody shout, I'm blessed. There ain't nothing wrong with being blessed. People are funny. I'm blessed in the city. I'm blessed in the field. I'm blessed when I go in. I'm blessed when I go. Yes, I am. What's that mean? It means you may not see it. And you may not know how I'm blessed. But I'm blessed. And if you'll give me three minutes, I'll be happy to tell you how I'm blessed. But he didn't just bless it. Then he broke it. Uh, Go back and preach about the blessing part, Pastor. I like the blessings more than I like the brokenness. I'm going to let you in on a little secret right here, okay? Everybody listening? You doing okay? What time is it? We're going to make it. Tell you all something today. Those broken pieces... That were in his hand. Were as blessed as they were. Before they broke him. The blessing part did not go away. Because brokenness happened. It was as blessed as it had always been. But this is what the Lord spoke to me. And I need this to get in somebody. God cannot multiply what he cannot break. Well, I gave it to you, Lord. Now you bless it and let it go. Just, he said, okay. But if you want me to multiply this, I'm going to have to break it. I look on the back row today. On the front row of the overflow, and I saw a man come walking in that's been in a broken stage the last few months. But, Elder, I want to tell you, you're as blessed today as you've ever been. You're blessed. And he's got his hand on you today. I remember the day that they said he'll never walk again, but he walked into the house of God today. I remember the day they said he'll never talk again, but today, He stood up here at this altar and lifted his voice and gave praise to the Lord. I don't want to be broken, but you're as blessed as you've ever been. I don't like, I don't like, I don't like, I don't like being broken. I don't, I don't like being broken, pastor. I don't like being broken. I don't, I don't like it. I don't like it. I I like being blessed. Well, your blessing ain't going to go away just because you're broken. This is a tough part of living for God when you realize every day isn't rose petals. Some days it's thorns. Oh, I, I, don't, know. I, I, don't, I don't know about that. Oh, l- well, let me talk to you about a thorn. Paul said, I asked God three times. 
I asked God three times, take this thorn from me. And the only response I got was, son, you are blessed. My grace is sufficient for you. If you've got to walk around with a thorn and be broken, that you can still be abased, then give him glory for the thorn because you are as blessed as you. I don't understand why I'm going through what I'm going through. And I don't know why I had to lose what I had to lose. You didn't lose. You're blessed. God cannot multiply what he cannot break. So I have to know today, does he have access to your blessing? Can he break the blessing in your life? Because the last and final element of the miracle was distribution. It started with a need and emptiness. It was followed by self-denial and the willingness to lay it down if that's what the Lord needed. Followed by order in chaos. And then came the blessing. And then came the breaking. And then came the distribution. This is one of the toughest things I've studied in a long time. This one messed with me. Matter of fact, it was still messing with me in the wee hours of the morning when I was tossing and turning. I laid in bed last night, and I thought, you know what? It's all good. I'm just going to go right to sleep. I'm just going to rest tonight. And the Lord said, no, you're not, son, because I'm fixing to work you over. He said, I'm going to talk to you about being distributed. I want to talk to you about what brokenness really looks like. He said, I want to talk to you about distribution. I said, okay, talk to me about distribution. He said, go to 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter and the sixth verse. When the great apostle Paul sent a letter to Timothy and he said, I am now ready to be offered. What? He said, I'm now ready. Look at it in the context of the Greek language. He said, I'm now ready to be poured out like a drink. I'm now ready to be distributed. I'm ready if God is finished with me to be distributed. Are you understanding what I'm saying to you today? We can all dance about the blessing. And some of us have survived the broken seasons. But are you ready for him to multiply you and pass you out? Spread you thin? Work on you? I got in Psalms, the 23rd chapter. It's exhausting. Because Psalms 23, the focus is always green pastures, still waters, restoration of the soul. The table in the presence of the enemy. The cup that overflows. We hear it at funerals all the time. Thank God for the green pastures. Thank God for the still waters. But I want you to understand the context of the 23rd Psalm. Is that David was not writing it from the perspective of a shepherd. He was writing it from the perspective of a lamb. And the Lord was his shepherd. And he makes this statement. He rejoices in the goodness and mercy following all the days of his life. But that meant there was an expiration because he said, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's about to be a light bulb go off in some people's heads when David is writing from the perspective of a lamb. And you realize, he said, I will dwell in the house of the Lord. And a lamb was only good for one thing in the house of the Lord. 
Let that sink into your soul right now. I'm, I'm, I'm almost finished. A lamb saying, he's my shepherd. And I'm thankful for every blessing in my life. I'm thankful for the green pastures, the still waters. I'm thankful for my cup that runs over. But I choose today to dwell in the house of the Lord. Where the only thing a lamb is good for is to be the sacrifice. I'm thankful that I'm blessed. And I'm thankful that I've been broken. But am I willing to be distributed? Are you willing, Stephen, to have stones breaking your skull? And to look at those people and say, lay it not to their charge. Well, those people are corrupt. Oh, yes, they were. They were so corrupt. They were disgusting people. But God took one of the most disgusting men among them. And he said, because Stephen has been distributed, I will gladly purchase Saul. And it was Saul who said, I am now ready. To be distributed. You understand me when I tell you. That this generation of young people need to be led by folks. Who refuse to let bitterness drip from their tongue. And they are willing to be distributed. Because if we in this generation sit down when times get tough. Where do you think our kids are going to go when times get tough? I'm so glad that Paul saw at the time looked at a man who had every right to curse those people, and he said, I'm not going to lay it to their charge. He looks up into the heavens, and he says, I am blessed. Brothers and sisters, the miraculous is not always what it seems. But I'd like to end today with what I started with. After the distribution, there were 12 baskets full of fragments left over because you never leave and God still owes you. I feel the Holy Ghost in here right now. I want us to just bow our heads all across this room. God, you've been speaking in this house this morning. I pray, Lord, that it would rest on us today. The true value of relationship with you is not in what we have to offer you, but what you can do with what we give you. And I pray today, Lord, that not only would our desire be for you to bless us, but to trust you in the breaking as much as we have in the blessing. And to trust your motive, Lord, as you begin to distribute our lives in this end time church. I just wonder this morning, God, in this house... How many men and women there are that are willing to lay everything they have on the altar today and say, okay, God, do whatever you have to do with me. But let it be that when my time expires, you find me in the house of the Lord and not running from sacrifice. I pray today, God, for some in this room that are withholding from you because of pride and shame, Lord. I pray that you would speak to them right now. 
God, that you would fill this house with conviction. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would trouble the waters of hearts. Lord Jesus, as we open up these altars today, I am pleading for your mercy to reach down in this house to somebody who feels so unworthy. To reach down to somebody in this house today, God, who feels like they have failed you so many times that there's nothing you could do with them. And that you would take them in your hands today, Lord. And that you would begin to form their life again and bless it and break it. Make it what you want it to be, God, that it may be distributed in this end time. Lord, it was you who said we would receive power after the Holy Ghost comes upon us. That we would be distributed beginning in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. You didn't just fill us with your spirit, God, so that we could tell the whole world we have the Holy Ghost. You filled us, Lord, so that we would be offered. I plead the blood of Jesus over this word today. I seek after you for wisdom counsel and might Lord would you walk through the aisles of this church today these altars are open this morning if you're in a place in your life right now where you feel like you've been withholding something from God because you're afraid of how much it's going to cost you could I invite you today to just lay it down at his feet say Lord it's not too expensive for you to distribute my life I see the hand of the Lord working through this room right now, reaching for some of you. Then giving you my very best, help me remember Calvary's cross.